Psalm 126, and uh, once more reading from the NIV version. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out reaping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Amen. Psalm 126 has a different beat. 
Because the psalmist doesn't just dwell in the past. He looks back to the past, but in the present, he longs for and expects a future restoration. And he encourages his listeners to seek it. You see, Psalm 126 is a classic Christian soundtrack. Our soundtrack. It rings out with the real tones of our history, a place a glorious melody of our expected future, and beats to the rhythm of our present calling. Psalm 126 remembers the past, but says the best is yet to come if you're in Christ. It seems a sure hope that finds its confidence in the things that God has already done. So let's get into it. First of all, God's people remember. Now, like many Psalms, this one is difficult to put exact dates on. Uh, but it's reference to the restoration of the fortunes of Zion. It's right there in verse 1. It suggests us that sometime after Israel's return from the exile in Babylon. You see, Zion is the name of the hill uh, Jerusalem is built on, and, and in 586 BC, Jerusalem was destroyed. Many of the Israelites were killed, and uh, others were carried off into captivity. Uh, we've just, uh, at Miles, finished working through Ezekiel. We've just read all about it. Have a read of Ezekiel if you want to uh, hear the story. Uh, it was devastating. Everything that they thought was good about their nation was destroyed. And it seemed like an impossible dream that one day Israel might enjoy the freedom and blessing, blessing that once was theirs in God's land. It seemed impossible. So that's the setting of the psalm. Now the psalm's labelled uh, at the beginning a song of ascent, uh, probably generation after generations of Israelites sang it on the way up to Jerusalem for their agricultural festivals. It becomes an anthem of sorts. It begins with thankfulness and joy. It remembers the moment in history when, when God made Israel's impossible dream come to. Look with me, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues were songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations. There's no doubt about who did this. The Lord has done great things for them. So the other nations saw their joy, their rejoicing in what the Lord had done, and they, they acknowledged the Lord. God gets praise from every nation over this. And then, verse 3, the refrain of the people themselves. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. It's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a call to worship the Lord, to thank Him, to celebrate His goodness and His kindness. I want to say this morning, it's good for us to pause and reflect on the amazing things God has done in history. Right back even to Israel's history. 
but in our history too. You know, I got to share a little bit about me coming to the Lord Jesus this morning. It's a special part of my history, and I can be thankful for the Lord God, to, to the Lord God for that. It's good and right for us to reflect on the amazing things God has done in history. Now it's good when we're feeling a bit like God is distant and not real active in our lives at the moment. It's good to pause and go, well God has done so much in my life. To remember that. Such a worthwhile thing to do because in our hearts it generates praise and it generates thanksgiving for who he is and what he's done. I think sometimes we forget that we've got these great events in our lives to celebrate. Great events in our history. Now, Psalm 126 is something like 2,600 years old, perhaps, and we're not Israelites. But this is our God at work. Our powerful, unstoppable God at work in kindness to his people. Our God restored the fortunes of Israel. I think that's pretty exciting stuff. But I want to say for us here in the 21st century that Zion actually has a much deeper meaning, doesn't it? You see, Zion isn't just a hill. Israel's return from exile, the restored fortunes, it's not just about people coming home to a place. You see, Zion represents the very presence of God. This is about God's people living under his rule in his place, in his presence. Now we have our own Zion moment, don't we? There on the outskirts of Jerusalem when Jesus went to the cross and the impossible was made possible. You see, this psalm, it's not a sentimental memory about a failed romance or a grandpa who passed away. Exile people, exile because of sin and rebellion People like you and me are restored at Zion, at the cross. On the cross, your sin and my sin are forgiven through faith in the one who took it for us. This is Jesus restoring, restoring us to the kingdom of God. It's real. It's amazing. It's the impossible dream come true. God has acted. He has done this. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. We started this morning with that, that song that encouraged us to imagine a world free of trouble and sadness. 
don't really need to imagine, do we? With Jesus, the dream is well. So I want to say our song, Psalm 126, is better than Romy Green's because it reminds us of something that is certain, not something we just wish for. We remember our Lord is the Lord who acts. So let me encourage you this morning to take the time to remember what the Lord has done. Remember Zion, remember Jesus. Remember what he did there. It's a sure thing. It ought to make us celebrate, I reckon. As we read through the psalm and we turn to verse 3 and 4, the past gets left behind. Doesn't it? It starts to look into the present and the future. And it kind of recognises that there's something amiss with the present and longs for a better future. So the second point, God's people long for full and perfect restoration. You see, as you read this psalm, uh, it, it tells the story of Israel. They returned from exile, they started rebuilding their lives, except things were messy. If you read Ezra, there was division and, and joy all mixed in with sadness. In Ezra chapter 3, you can read about the rebuilding of the temple. When you start reading, it looks cool. Like it says there, look with me, Ezra chapter 3, I believe. But yes, we've got it up there for you. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because, of the, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But then there's verse 12. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. You see, throughout Israel's history there's been instances of restoration but ultimately all marred with imperfection. It's the same for us too, isn't it? There's real victory in the cross Hearing the gospel and accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour means you're restored. That's, that's the language we use, isn't it? But the restoration kind of feels incomplete. Now, almost every week as a pastor, I speak to people and they feel broken. Christian people. Relational hurts. Bodies that don't work properly anymore. Something that's real for our family is grandpas really do die. Is this as good as it gets? 
Well, I want to say Psalm 126 encourages us to dream a little. Look with me at verse 4. This is Israel longing for God's full and perfect restoration. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, a bit of context here. Uh, the Negev uh, is to the southwest of the Dead Sea. It's uh, a semi-desert area. Uh, and for most of the year, it's dry and desolate. But after rain, seasonal rains, storms, water spreads across the floodplains, places transformed as if a wand had passed over it. And it becomes like this colourful garden. Hordes of wildlife come to graze on the pastures. It's kind of like a picture of Eden, a new Eden. You see, verse 4 is ultimately God's people longing for his unfolding life of abundance. Life in his eternal kingdom with him. Brothers and sisters, of all the things we could want, of all the things we think we might need, this is what we need, isn't it? Abundant life in his kingdom. Because that is the thing, the only thing that can deal with our brokenness, with the relational hurts that we live with. We need the restoration to perfection. We need that return to Eden. It's what we need when our bodies are broken, when everything hurts. It's what we need when we don't move like we used to, when cancer gets hold of us. It's what we need, isn't it? The new Eden where God restores everything. This psalm encourages us to long for that. They're words of longing for the comfort of being in the presence of God. In the midst of the immediate, it lifts, lifts our eyes from the immediate to eternity. It invites us to be carried off from moments into not a dream but our real future. And it is real, isn't it? Because we saw in the first point that God has really acted. We're invited to long for that day when we get to be able to be with our Lord in his eternal kingdom. God's people long for his full and perfect restoration. Now so far this psalm has been about us remembering and visioning. We've been remembering the past and visioning the future. It's all about what's going on in our minds. 
There is a point to all of that. You see, God's people remember the past, that's God's amazing work, and God's people long to enjoy the fullness and perfection of His rule and His kingdom. And in the last two verses, God's people seek His kingdom. This is the doing bit. If you follow the logic of the song, there's a sense that verse 5 and 6 give this whole psalm a real agricultural life. It's like people have remembered the good times but find themselves stuck in a drought. It's like they're in the Negev before the rains come. And they're in the, in the hot desert and, and they're ploughing and planting seeds. It's hot and hard work and it, and it looks like a place will never produce a harvest. Sowing with tears there in verse 5. And going out weeping, carrying seed to sow, verse 6. See, this is about working and planting in preparation for God's work. Persevering. This is what we're doing. Persevering. Expecting that God will send the storms ultimately across it again. It's a metaphor, isn't it, for God's kingdom? As people work the ground, sow the seeds, and let's be honest, it feels like a desert sometimes. We even get discouraged. Sometimes it feels like the seeds of God's word don't even take root in our own hearts, let alone the hearts of others. When we speak about Jesus, it feels like no one's listening. It feels like the seed of the gospel will never bear fruit sometimes. But you see, Psalm 126 encourages us to press on. God's people sow in tears, they carry out the seed. Uh, that's God's word, isn't it, in the metaphor? The gospel of our Lord Jesus. They go out weeping and struggling. But here's the thing. God is at work. He will grow his kingdom like the rain on the earth. Our God takes the seeds sown in his people. And by his spirit produces a harvest. You see the way this song functions for us? We remember Zion and what Jesus did there and it gives us confidence to dream big about God's kingdom, to long for the fullness of his kingdom to come. But not just to long for it, but to actively seek it, to plough the ground, to, to go to work proclaiming Jesus in the expectation that God will send his spirit upon those who hear the good news and produce a harvest. Brothers and sisters, this is God's will for the church, for you, to do the hard yards of sowing the gospel so that by his power we will, we will as it says there, reap with songs of joy. 
return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves of the harvest of souls for his kingdom with us. It's a great vision, isn't it? It's a great song for a Christian life. And I reckon it's worth having in our heads as we work and play as we struggle with those things that, that cause our grief. As we struggle with the sin in our lives. Because when we have this tone in our minds, it directs our efforts in a way that some foolish old sentimental song can't. Keeps replaying the gospel for us. Keeps reminding us to long for better, the real future. And it reminds us to keep engaging with those around us so that they too might come with us into God's kingdom. Now we don't need to lament the good things in life but end too soon. We got better. As we read from Hebrews 12 this morning, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Through faith in Christ, your name is written in heaven. Did you know that? You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of life. That's where we come. Let's pray with you. Oh, Father, we ask that you help us sing this song to remember the glorious, amazing things you have done things that are impossible for us. Help us to remember that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And Lord, in our lives, as we feel the imperfection that comes from living in a world marred by sin and death, lift our eyes and hearts to long for the full and perfect restoration you have promised for us in eternity. We ask too that you would give us courage that we might sow the seeds of the gospel even when it's hard, even when it looks like the harvest is impossible. Help us to sow in expectation. And we pray that each of us could enjoy the rejoicing that comes from a harvest of souls for your kingdom. Let us, Father, see people come to Jesus in our midst. We ask it in Jesus' name.